Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're so excited to celebrate with you today and, and, and just talk about marriage. And uh, baby, you want to start it? Yeah, I'm going to start. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a seat as we're talking to you guys about this because we've got a, uh, uh, a great story with how this came about. And so we you, normally, we're at uh, the Opelousas campus, as y'all, as y'all probably know. And every year we'll always do a marriage uh, message around this time of the year and so sometimes with marriage messages you know not everybody in the audience is married some of you are here and you you are married and you're happy you're married some of you are here and you're married and you're not quite sure and then some of you are here and either and and that you hope to be married one day you hope to be married one day and so what we hope today is, and again, relationship gold, I just, anyway, hopefully these are some nuggets. At least silver. At least silver, yeah. The gold may be just stretching a little bit. But that we can just give you guys some nuggets along the way. Again, we've been married 32 years, have been in full-time ministry that, for that amount of time as well. So not only have we lived a life uh, of a long time of being married, but we've counseled and met with and helped people along their journey in their marriages as well. And so there's just been a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we did wrong and had to correct it to get right. And then a lot of things we took, we took uh, as learning lessons from the mistakes other people made. And you know what? Wise people would recognize that and not do that. And let's learn that lesson before we, you know, fall into some of those same traps. So, in other words, y'all have helped our marriage. When we counseled other people, yeah. we went, "Oh, absolutely! Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're so, idiots." Okay, okay, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, we don't tell them that to their face, but uh, <laughs> but we walk away and go, "Okay, we would be idiots if we don't get this and exactly. get this right." Yeah. So, anyway, so today we're going to give y'all just some things that, we lear- that we've learned along the way. But the context of it is we're going to give you a title to this message that is very, very deep and very spiritual. And, and it, it, it's just so very deep. And so the title of this message is called Our Conversation with a Waitress. Isn't that spiritual? Don't you just, your heart leaps when you hear that? Um, because this all began, this, what we're going to share with you today, began with a, a conversation that we had with a waitress a couple of years ago. Like Eugene said, we've been married 32 years. So usually every year for our anniversary, we'll take a little trip or a little, you know, just a little getaway for our anniversary just to celebrate and get away and all and that. And what do we call that? And so I call it a little getaway is what I call it. But I call, call it, it love fest. Okay. So anyway, so that, that's fine. Come on, men. Okay. You with me? Yeah. So, so we took this little getaway for our anniversary two years ago. Love fest. And uh, we, we went to Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. And that's an inside joke because we did this message at Opelousas campus last week. And I was convinced it was Memphis. And we got into a little tiff and we went back and forth and went through two services. Only to find out at the second service that it was indeed Nashville. And I was wrong. And I made it right on the stage with you last week. Is that true? That's true. And so it was Nashville, Tennessee. And we took this little trip for our anniversary. So we went to eat at a restaurant, a nice restaurant. And so we're, we're sitting there. And so the waitress comes up to us. She's probably, was probably in her, you know, late, mid to late 20s. And was very kind. And is there something special y'all are celebrating? And we said, yes, we're celebrating, you know, our anniversary. And that, that time it was our 30th anniversary. And she goes, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Da, 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 da. And so, um, and she said this. She said, I'm not married, but I hope to be married one day. And she said, what is the secret for being married, having a, a long, happy marriage. And you think at 30 years, I mean, that's a long time, but it's not like 60 or 70 years. But again, this waitress was looking at us, which made us kind of feel old at the moment. And, but she's looking at us like, man, you know, man, y'all are so ancient. Like, how do y'all make this work? And she said, what is, what is the secret to it? So Eugene, as only he can do, was quick, quick on the spot and jumps in and says, you know, and we, I forgot, we've forgotten her name. We'll call her Wendy. 
that's not her name, but we don't know what it is. We forgot. So we told her, we said, this is, Eugene told her, this is what we're going to do. Every time you come back with a drink or every time you come back with, uh, you know, water or food or you're checking on us or whatever, not a drink drink, just drinks in general. Y'all, I need to, <laughs> I need to clarify that. The hardest drink that we have is sweet tea. So there you go. Um, so whenever you come back with our drinks or your or our food or whatever, he said, we're going to give you just one lesson that we've learned along the way. And so we'll do this throughout the meal. So because we had been together for several days on this trip and we had talked about everything we needed to talk about. So we were happy to talk to somebody else about something. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like we needed to sit there and have this intimate conversation at the dinner table because we'd been talking for four days. So anyway... So lucky her. So she said, oh, that'd be awesome. So as we went along, we started doing this. And we said, so when we were writing this message, I said, Eugene, why don't we just write out what we told the waitress in Nashville? Because these are lessons that we've learned away. So thus our title, our conversation with the waitress. So everybody's caught up? Good? Okay, number one is this. And we're going to simply go through what, what we told her that night. We said this. Number one, God has to be the center of your marriage. He has to be. He has to be. And I know that sounds, for some of you, sounds very elementary, sounds very basic, sounds very, okay, that doesn't take rocket science to fill that, to, to, to find that out. But I think you've, you've lived long enough and have been around enough people to know that that's not always the case. That God, for some people, is just pulled off the shelf when you come to church on a Sunday or you gather in a small group or whatever, and then you leave this building and you go back to a life to where you just set God on the shelf and pull him down whenever you need him. In order to have a long, healthy, happy marriage. Now, you can have a marriage that lasts a long time. It, there's no guarantee it's going to be healthy, and there's certainly no guarantee it's going to be happy. That you, it, it's something, it's a work in progress and you never get to a part in your marriage to where you're still not working toward it. If you've stopped working toward your marriage, that's when your marriage is going to start disintegrating and not growing. No matter how old we are and no matter how long we've been married. And so in order to have a healthy, happy marriage, God has to be at the center of that marriage. He can't just be something that we pull down whenever we need him or we get in a, in a bind or we hit the pit. He can't just be somebody that we talk to on a Sunday morning. He's got to be invited into the middle of that relationship because especially in the day and age that we live now, we have to have God 24-7 every single day infiltrating every area of our life. There's a, verse in, uh, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says this, and these are familiar verses. And it says this, Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken, or a three-strand cord cannot be easily broken. And so it talks about the, the Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about the power of two coming together. But when you add that third crank, uh, that third strand cord, that cord of, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to come and to breathe on a marriage, that is something that cannot be broken. Practically, what does that look like? That looks like time in the Word together. It looks like time in prayer together. It's making church a priority, not just when you're desperate, but that it's a priority in your life that you decide. And no matter where you're at on your marriage journey, maybe you haven't made God the center. It's never too late to invite him in yep. and go from this point forward. Okay. He is going to be priority in our marriage. So that's what we told the waitress. That's Number fair. one, that was, that was, we started off with that. I, I've just, so this hit my, this thought just hit my head because I told my son this, who's you know, all, my ch all our children are, are age, uh, old enough to be married themselves. They're not married yet. They are not, however. And Please we will pray. talk to y'all afterwards. Please no, pray. It's a, yeah. um, and so I, I, and when I said, William, I said, your mate, here's what you're looking for. She needs to love Jesus more than you love Jesus. And, and when I met Heidi and I knew something different about her that made her stand out other than the curly hair that you do see was what impressed me was her love for God. And I'm not first in her life. I'm second in her life. 
And Heidi's not first in my life. And that's the, that's the cord. And so uh, that's free, by the way. That, that wasn't in last week. Yeah, here's, here's, a, here's somebody said this. It wasn't me, but it's, it's really true. M- men marry a woman hoping she will never change. And all she does is change. Right? You girls, you, we can't even keep up with you. You're always changing something. You're changing your, your makeup. You're changing your hairstyle. You're changing. You're always changing. You're changing your wardrobes. You're changing your look. You're changing the house. You're changing the furniture. You're changing all you do. And we married you hoping you will never change. And all you do is change. Pray for us. And then women marry men hoping he will change and he don't. We're like God, same yesterday, today, and forever. We got underwear older than most of you. You always got to be working on it. Let me, let me give you, when Wendy the waitress came over, I, I said to her, I said, both spouses, secret to marriage, both spouses have to become professional forgivers. You got to be all pro at it. You got to get really good at seeking it and giving it. And so let me just ask this one question. When you ask God, when you've got to repent to God for something, you got to go, Lord, please forgive me for that. I'm sorry. How long does it take for God to forgive you? Is it instant? Is it a day? Is it when you feel forgiven? I mean, he said, if you'll repent of your sins, change your mind, and turn, turn from your wicked way, if you'll turn from it, hate it, and go the opposite direction, that he would take your sin and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. We've told couples that this way. We said, listen, if you're going to be married, you're going to be happily married, there's never, you can never dig up bones. That means once something has been settled and you've been reconciled, right, once forgiveness has been sought, and given that you can never go back and dig that up again because God doesn't dig it up again. And let me tell you who does dig it up again. The devil will dig it up again and bring it back to you to try to bring condemnation on you for something you've done in the past. Can I get a witness? That's what he does. So as married couples, if you forgive, you have to forget. If you don't, if you bring it back up and use words like this, Here you go again. You always. You never. And when you start digging that up, you're not acting like God. You're acting like. Thank you. I didn't want to say it, but. You're you're acting like the enemy. And so you have to be professional. Look what the scripture says in Ephesians 4 and 32. It says, instead, be kind to each other. That's a word we've lost, kindness. Kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Watch this. If you missed this line, you missed it all. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So you have to, it's done. It's done. Newsflash, well, transparency. We're sitting right here on the front row, and Heidi goes, you need to apologize before we go up there. And I went, for what? (laughs) I knew for what, but men always ask for what. She goes, you know. And I said, you're right, baby. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Okay. Forgive it. So we could walk up here and at least have a clear conscience, (laughs) semi to share with you. Look what Matthew 6 and 15 says. Watch this. This is scary. If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive you of your sin. So this relationship is where the enemy wants to divide that this has to we have to become professional forgivers all the time. Forgiving it, give, forgiving and seeking the forgiveness. I'm sorry. Let me give you seven most powerful words in marriage. Say it with me. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Oh, you ought to just become professional at using it. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? 
Pastor Jacob used to ask this question, would you rather be reconciled or would you rather be right? Men, can I just help you? Right is not all what it's cracked up to be. Right, you'll sleep on the couch. I'd rather be reconciled sleeping next to mama. Are y'all tracking with me? And that's number two. And then number three, Wendy the waitress came back to fill up our waters. And I said to her, you got to relinquish the right to change your spouse. Just relinquish the right to change them. We are only responsible for one of us in the relationship. We're responsible for ourselves. Can I take just a moment to pick on the men for a second? Ladies, will you give me permission to pick on the men? No, ladies, will you give me permission to pick on the men? The way God made man and woman, he made man the initiator, and he made a woman the responder. And we could, we could use an analogy. I won't draw pictures or anything for you, but when you think about intimacy between a husband and a wife, men initiate, women respond. If you really want to change your wife, like you want a new one. How many of you men would like a new one? No, don't raise your hand. No, if you really want to see the change in her, if you'll make changes, initiate, she'll respond accordingly. Sometimes when we look and go, man, God really needs to get her, God. The problem's not her. Sometimes the problem is you. And that you can make the changes. And she'll, if she loves the Lord, she'll respond accordingly. I have gone to the Father many times and said, Lord, that's the woman you gave me. I'm praying just like Adam in the garden. It is her, and it is her fault. And he never talks to me about her. He always talks to me about me. And if I'll change, then it's amazing how she responds to what I've initiated. She responds accordingly to it, and you get to watch God change her. So you got to relinquish the right uh, to change one another. You just got to say, I'm going to live for Jesus and do what's right by her, by God. And that's what we told Wendy yeah. the waitress. Wendy the waitress. The next thing we told her is number four is this. We said there, is, there are no secrets kept in a good, healthy marriage. Say it. There are no secrets kept in a good, healthy marriage. Now, there may be secrets kept in a marriage, but in a good, healthy marriage... There are no secrets kept. Trust can only be built. Marriage, a great marriage is built on trust. And if, if trust is only built when both people are totally and completely honest with one another. You cannot build a marriage on a lack of trust or on secrets or on things that you keep from your spouse. Now, there are, again, we're not going to get into the, the depths of this because this really could be a whole message on, uh, in itself. But, you know, there's Christian counseling. There, there, there's pastors that can help. There's freedom groups. that and, and, and if you're at a place that really needs some of those resources, I, I, we hope that you take advantage of those resources because, again, in order for a marriage to be healthy and happy, it's got to be built on trust. And, but just some practical things today that we can talk about. Everything from your, your phones. The, the technology today, and, w- and we're not technology savvy uh, at all. We just hang on by a thread and ask our kids or Pastor Don what we're supposed to be doing because we don't even know. And we could just give you some war stories of how bad we've messed things up because we don't know what we're doing. But with technology today and with these phones that we have today, you can live a whole separate life on a phone that nobody else knows about. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, you know that. If you're your parent, you're always checking on these kids' phones and what they're doing because there's this whole world out there that, that, pe- that people live on. 
and as as far as continuing to be open and honest with your spouse, there, there's nothing off limits. My phone's not off limits to Eugene. Eugene's phone's not off limits to me. We both know one another's passcodes to get in. At any moment, he can pick my phone up, get in, do the passcode, get in. He can read any email, any text message, look any picture, any photo. There's nothing that I don't want him looking at on my phone. And vice versa, that I can pick his up at any time. On the computer, it's the same thing. In, in bank accounts, I'm not hiding things in bank accounts and moving money here so he can't see this. And, and again, I don't have to go into the details. Some of the stories we've heard from people have been pretty remarkable and pretty unbelievable about how secrets are kept from the person that is that should be the very closest to you and then you wonder why trust isn't there and you wonder why you don't have a good happy and and growing marriage it's because of the secrets that are being kept there cannot be any secrets kept between the person that you love most in this whole world. There's got to be the openness and honesty. And there's a verse in Mark chapter 4, verse 22, that speaks to this. And this is Jesus. Jesus himself, the Son of God, speaks these words and says this. He said, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And every secret will be brought to light. You can only keep it in the dark so long. You can only keep it hidden for so long because eventually it's going to come out. And there's nothing worse than having a secret or something hidden that you're keeping from your spouse. And the longer you hide it and the longer you keep it from them, the more it eats you up from the inside out. And then either you're found out or you own up to it. And it's the, be the best case scenario is to own up to it. Don't wait till you're found out. And again, this could be a whole message for a whole nother time. But begin to build your marriage. If there's secrets that y'all haven't shared, hopefully today it will just be a beginning of a conversation that you can go home to and go through these points together and go, we need to really work on this one or what do you think we need to work on? And at least it begins to open up the communication and open up some avenues to where you can be having those, uh, those conversations with one another if there are things indeed that you have kept from them. You cannot expect your marriage to be great and to grow and to continue to get better if you're holding on to secrets. It's going to come out eventually. So let the, the light of the Holy Spirit shine on it in our heart. Bring it to your spouse. Prayerfully, there's forgiveness from both ends. Seek help that you may need walking forward if that's the case. And commit to one another that you're not going to keep secrets one from another. Amen. It's good, That's baby. That's what we told our waitress. Strong. We are not technology savvy, but it's amazing how Heidi has learned how to use Amazon Prime. Right. That girl got that down. That's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> yeah. I sure do. And Carly Jean. Yeah. Anyway, that's a... Sh girl shopping thing or whatever. I mean, she got it down. Uh, number five, we said, hey, there should be no keeping score. No keeping score in a healthy relationship. Let me give you 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 that says this. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. There's no record of it. There's no, there's no keeping score. And I'm going to add to it, and I think the Holy Spirit would be cool with it. No records of wrongs and no records of rights. So that you would go, and I, we just use it by things saying like, hey, I, I went hunting last week with Pastor Jacob. So since you did that, Heidi would never say, since you did that, I get to go do. Or since you bought that dress the other day, I get to. Oh, and since I bought a shotgun, she gets to buy. I mean, because if a real relationship is right, we want the other one to win. It's not a matter of, of keeping score with one another, who does what, who didn't do what, it, that we would never operate that way. There would be never no keeping score with one another. If not, we'll end up manipulating one another. And if I love her, I, I want her to win. I, I, I want her to get the new outfit from Carly Jean. Ever once in a while. Uh, and so we, we want to make sure there's never using that kind of language with, num uh, with, with one another. No keeping rights, no keeping scores of wrongs. Number six. Number six is this. We told her 
Your marriage must take priority above all other human relationships. What? Your marriage must take priority all, over all other human relationships. The verse in Genesis that we're very familiar with that you hear at weddings often, it says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife because the two are now united into one. It doesn't mean that we don't love our families. It doesn't mean that we don't love our children. It doesn't mean that we don't love our friends. It just means when we come together and make a commitment and a covenant to God and to one another, it means that we're going to make this relationship the number one human relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. We said at the beginning, God is a sinner. He's got to be priority. But when it comes to human relationships... This has got to be priority. What does that look like practically? And I'm going to talk to, I'm obviously talking to men as well, but I'm specifically talking to women. Because I know as a mama, when, when we first married, it can be all about him. And it was about him and it was great and it was about me and it was wonderful. And those first few years were rough. I'll just say that though. It was wonderful, but we had some rough years. And then babies start being born. And then the first baby comes, and then the second baby comes, and then however many babies you end up having. And then those babies grow to toddlers, and they grow to elementary students, and they grow to teenagers. And if you think for a moment teenagers take less time, energy, and effort than toddlers done, you're real wrong, and you haven't had teenagers. Okay, so I'll just put that in there. So we've raised our kids. We've raised them. Jury's still out. Whether we were good parents or not, we'll see one day. But as mamas, what it's so easy because our children are so needy and all of the activities and all the needs they have, it is so easy, not intentionally, but we can put our spouse on the shelf and go, just hang out there until I get these kids raised and then we'll come back and check on one another. <laughs> and I'm, there are statistics that prove this to be true. Eugene and I, I don't even know how many years ago now, three or four years ago, our youngest son left for college and we, were, we found ourselves and we're empty nesters. Yes. And it was wonderful. And we do. And we look forward to it. And okay, we're going to get these kids raised. And we love our kids. I'm not, don't take me wrong. Most of the time. We, most of the time we do. So we, we love our kids. And, and, but it was an exciting time. And the statistics prove true that the highest divorce rate are among those who are empty nesters. The highest divorce rate in this country are among those who no longer have children at home because all through your marriage, the kids were priority and everything revolved around the children. And one day your children are going to leave home. That's why you have them to raise them for them to fly away. And so then they leave home and then you look at one another when they leave home and go, excuse me, what is your name? I'm Heidi. It's nice to meet you. Because there has been no investment in this marriage along the way. And most marriages, if you find yourself at that point, you don't have the energy, the wherewithal, or even the want to, to work on it at that point. And we tell couples this all the time. Do not wait until you're at an empty nest season to prepare for the empty nest season. You're preparing for an empty nest season when your kids are still at home. And I'm just saying this as a wife and as a mama because I, I am all of those things. It is so easy. It's not intentional. It's not intentional at all to put that husband to the side and to, and to, and to make children their priority. But we've got to recognize what we're doing because it's not good for those children to be the center of your universe. And it's not good for your marriage for those children to be the center of the universe because one day they're going to leave Say and you're it. going to be left together. That's right. There, there was a, a, a conversation that Eugene and I had. This was many, many years ago. We still lived in Texas. All of our children were little. Our kids, we had three children under the age of five. And so they were all kind of just little all together. And we were sitting out and, and, and we were raised in homes that n neither one of us necessarily looked at the way our family's marriages looked and said, we want that. We wanted to do something different. 
We wanted it to look different. And so one afternoon, Eugene had come in from work, and I wasn't home with the kids, and, and they were out in the driveway riding their tricycles and pulling wagons, whatever, and I was sitting out in a lawn chair just watching them play. And Eugene comes in from work, and he gets a chair and comes sits out next to me. And I'm just, because they were at that stage to where they were not toddlers any, they were about to, every, some of them were already in elementary school and kindergarten, first grade, and then our youngest was about to go. And I was sitting there just having a moment going, I think we've done okay get going through this baby and toddler stage. I hope we do okay once they get to school and to elementary school and middle school and high school. Just one of those moments as a parent, you just go, God, I hope we're doing this right because we're really not sure, but would just help us. And, and Eugene sat down and he said, what, what are you thinking? He could tell I was in thought. And I just said, Eugene, I just, I'm looking at these kids and I'm going, as much as we love and care for them and are so proud of them and excited about the days ahead, this whole thing started between me and you. We started this marriage and it was me and you. And one day it's going to end and it's going to be just me and you. And we've got to make sure that it stays just me and you as we go through these seasons of raising children. And we've got to make a decision now that we're going to always make it about you and I. Because if we don't, we know where that road ends. Mm -hmm. And we really made a commitment to each other that day sitting in the driveway to go, we're going to do the very best we can to make it about you and I. And we're going to love our children. We're going to meet their needs. We're going to be there for them. But we are not going to let them usurp the priority of what you and I need to be. And so that is, you know, going on date nights. That is taking little trips away for your anniversary. That's telling the children no. No, it's telling them no at times. It's letting them know that their dad is a priority to me, that our children are not going to come in and, and, and draw a wedge between the two of us and play the two of us off against one another. We're on the same team, a united front. He is priority in my life, and no child, family member, friend, church member is going to take the place of what only he should be in my life. So I would even ask you I'm this. number one. <laughs> there, was a couple, there was a couple last week that uh, we did this message in Opelousas, and there was a couple as an empty nester couple, and they're, they're, they had, uh, had been empty nesters for a couple of years. And they came to us afterwards and said, I mean, in tears, sobbing, and said, not, and the woman said, not only have I just put my husband on the shelf all these years, he was in the very, 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 very back of the closet. And just a few months ago, I was on the computer looking for a full-time job with full expectations of leaving him because we didn't even know who one another was anymore. Thank y'all for this message. We're committing. And they committed to one another. They're going to work on it. They're going to tr- get through this time, and they're not going to split but they're going to start making one another priority. It's never too late to do it. That's right. So you may be sitting here today and go, man, I've blown it in that. There is grace and forgiveness from God. There is grace and forgiveness from your spouse. Make it a decision today that from this point forward, you're going to make that spouse your number one priority. Hmm. If you do it right, empty nesting is something you're really going to look forward to. You're like, man, that lasts. The first one you cry. The second one you go, you know, just sniffle a little bit. The third one you throw a party. You know, the last one you go, yeah, I love you. Get out. You just, whoa. Uh, we had a wise man in Opelousas campus told me as we were preparing for it, he said, Pastor you, just listen to me. Here's what's going to happen because he's about five years ahead of me. He said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have more money than you've ever had. You're going to have more time than you've ever had. And y'all are going to make love more than you ever had. And I said, sign me up, bro. I'm in. (laughs) And they're all true. Can I say that in church? Uh, I just did. Anyway, here we go. I don't even know why I got this one. This is terrible that I have this one. Heidi should be talking about this one, but it's my name's right here beside it. Communication is vital. I put your name beside it on purpose. <laughs> now, you know, men, women, the average woman sp- speaks about 7.2 million words per day. She needs that. She needs to get it all out. 
And men speak on the average, I believe it's 42 words. That's a, we just like, uh-huh, yeah, all fine, good, yes, no, all right. I mean, we don't, we don't have a, a lot of words. We don't use a lot of words. We don't have to get a lot of words out in a day, but obviously the ladies, God made them that they're more verbal than we are. They, they like to talk. They they like to, the details, the details of how was your day? Fine. I mean, it was fine. I mean, it was good. And so I, I really had a, a, someone really helped me early in our marriage just talk about, he's like, Pastor Eugene, you, you got to get disciplined. Like, she's going to want to talk. And I'm, and I'm going, man, I don't, I don't even know what to say to her. He's, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a, uh, a, a note card. And I did. I did this for a while. Took a note card. And I, this to be disciplined. And I would write down things that I did that day. Like, oh, I can tell her this and tell her this and tell her this. So when I would get home and she would say, because she's watching little babies, right? She's had no conversation all day long and she's ready. She's ready. She's waiting for me to come home and meet the need. I've been talking all day. I've done use my words all up, right? And to come home and she's like, how was your day? Great. What happened? Oh, nothing. So I learned to go, oh, I, I met with so-and-so today, and we, we talked about this, and it was a discipline, you know. And then later, we started doing date nights, like every Thursday night. And she, and she learned, she go, she could save up for Thursday night because Thursday night was her night. I mean, I let her, discipline, right? Men, discipline. Let me help you. It was a discipline. I would take, we would take, go to dinner, I would, we'd put our phones away, and I would sit across. I would look right in her blue eyes, and I would say, baby, what, what do you want to talk about? And she goes, oh, I want to talk about the kids. And then she could she'd talk about the kids. And I just think Hillary and the game can handle it. And I just believe she can handle it. Okay, listen, man, I'm going to help you. I'm helping you. And I learned to say things like this, really? And she'd go, Yeah. And I would learn things like this. And then what happened? And then she'd go, well, this is what happened. Wow. How did that make you feel? Oh, I just felt terrible about it. And she would just talk and I go, wow, that's amazing. What else, baby? Oh, I want to talk about this. And she just keep going. And then I, I, I'm, we're not, ladies, we're not real smart. Every time we went on date night and I was disciplined, it usually ended up later that night. Can I get a witness? And yeah, hallelujah, somebody said. Keep going. So Yeah, so you started putting the pieces together. Wait a minute. Discipline, conversation, and then later, celebration. <laughs> conversation, celebration, convert, cel- con- It went from being a discipline to being a delight. That we have those conversations, and and now I think Heidi would say I'm, I'm pretty decent at conversations. Well, we're teetering on it right now. If you keep going down that road, <laughs> okay, you are. No, you are, and and you understanding how for a female and for me, your wife, how it makes you me feel closer to you when we have those conversations. That's right. For women. It's those conversations, and that is what, again, makes our hearts closer. Right. Yeah, keep going. Right, go. Number eight. Number eight. Isaac, you better come help us close this thing out. Number eight. Wendy Before the- it derails terribly, Isaac, quickly, get on the keyboard, save us. <laughs> Number eight. Divorce is not an option. Just take that out of you. Remember, it's the three-chord strand. It's the covenant. 
you, all of you stood before God, or you're going to in your future, not God. You're going to stand before a pastor who represents God. He's going to say, do you take this woman? Woman, do you take this man, richer, poor, sickness, health, till, till what? Till trouble? No, no, it says till death. And you're not really making that covenant with just her. You're making the covenant to God. You're making it to God. You're saying, God, I'm making a covenant with you. Which means when you make the covenant with God, then you invite him into the relationship, the three-chord strand. So he's here. Heidi knows I may be stubborn at times. I may be slow to ask for forgiveness. She knows I love God. And the Holy Spirit is going to deal with me. So she didn't have to. She didn't have to nag me to forgiveness. She go, mm, I'm just going to talk to God. And God's going to get him. Get him, Jesus. Come back, baby. I'm sorry. Same. Vice versa. Divorce is not an option. You know this verse, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And for anger gives a foothold to the devil. It unlocks the door. And so we tried to resolve that, I'd say through 32 years. It might have been a night or two in 32 years that we went around the clock into the next day. But we've stayed up real late, early into the morning, trying to resolve something. And again, I'd rather be reconciled than right. Right is not all what it's cracked up to be. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, divorce is not an option. And uh, obviously we know there's biblical, there's some biblical uh, permission to divorce. Adultery is permission, but we've walked through it, helped see people restore, even who've walked through that. And so you might be here today, and I say this to our Opelousas campus all the time. Look, I know I'm sitting in an audience, but there's the before Jesus and grace that you may have been married once before or twice before or thrice before or four ice before. Just whatever, just whatever one you're on now, make it the last one. This is the last one till death do us part. It's not an option. Yeah, and then we told our waitress this. We said, make sure that you have hobbies that you do together. Make sure that you have interests that you do together. Don't, don't be afraid to start something new together. And again, in a season when you've got children at home, it's going to take more intention and more purpose because you've got these children that you're taking care of. Still have things that you do together. Because if you do that, then when the kids are gone, you still have some common interests and some common things that you enjoy doing together. Or pick up something new once the kids leave. You need to have hobbies that we do on our own. There's things that I go do on my own. There's things Eugene does as hunting and all that. For us, it was golfing. For us, Eugene always said when the kids were little, he said, Heidi, when the, all the kids get in school, because golf, if y'all play golf, you know, that's not something you go play for 30 minutes and you're done. Golf is, is an all-day deal. And he, and he told me, he said, Heidi, I would love when the kids all get in school one day, I would love for us to start playing golf together because it was very, he loved playing golf. And so once our youngest got into kindergarten, I went and took some lessons. And, and for all these years now, we've played golf together. We love it. And now the kids are gone, we still love to play golf together. And y'all's thing may not be golf, but find, find, start a conversation about some hobbies and some things that you can do together. Even though the men, y'all have your things to do with your buddies and girls, you have your things to do with your girlfriends. That's awesome. But if this is top priority in our life, then we're going to find some things that we enjoy doing together. And it, it doesn't just happen. It takes great intentionality and turning the TV off and getting off of your phone and closing the computer and going, let's find something that we can do together that we really enjoy doing.
So we told her this. And then the last thing, number 10, this is the last thing we told her as we finished our dinner tonight. And that dinner was quite lengthy, as you can imagine. But she was loving it. And at the end of it, she did come back and say, I can't thank y'all enough. This has helped me so much. In fact, y'all should probably like write a book about this because I bet you there's other people that would want to know this. And we just smiled at one another because I don't even think we told her what we did. We just said, that's a great idea. Um, But number 10, we told her this. We said, dream about the future together. Dream about the future together, you and your spouse. There's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29 that most of you are familiar with. And it says this, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. They're plans to, uh, to give you a hope and a future. And oftentimes we read that verse and we claim it and believe it for ourselves or we claim it and believe it for our children or somebody else. But very few times do we read that verse and receive it for our marriage. That there's a hope and a future for our marriages. No matter what you've been through, no matter how hard it's been, no matter what you've done wrong, God still has a hope and a future for you together. And the day that we live in now, and especially in this COVID pandemic that we are just, it seems like it just continues to go on and on. And I'm not downplaying it, but it's just been a, the, the most unusual, crazy year. Now it's coming into the, the second year of it. And I think one of the many things that we've noticed, people have stopped dreaming. Because people are so scared of the future, they don't look to the future with anticipation anymore. No one wants to talk about the future. No one wants to talk about what's ahead. No one wants to talk because we're inundated with all the bad news and all the negativity and all the, 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 everything's coming to an end. And not that we shouldn't be wise and have concern, but we cannot live our life gripped in fear. And if we live our lives gripped in fear and worry about the future, we're never going to be able to look at the future and smile at the future or anticipate the days ahead for us. God's word says this, that our latter days, he tells Job that your latter days are going to be greater than your former days. Yes, Lord. And as Christians, as Christians, there's going to be some hard days ahead. But as Christians, our our days ahead of us are going to be greater than our days behind us. And if ever our nation, our community, our city needed good, godly, healthy marriages to raise up as a standard and as an example, it is now. That to talk to your spouse about the future, there is a hope and there is a future. No matter how bad it's looked in the past, with Jesus' blood coming and covering a multitude of sin and His grace covering y'all, there is a great future ahead of you. Begin to dream with your spouse. What do you want it to look like? What do you want your lives to look like in three years, in five years, in 10 years? What is it going to take now to begin the journey of making and reaching those goals in the future? There's a great future ahead for you. Begin to dream about it. Begin to talk about it. Begin to make plans for it. And if you do, you're going to be able to stand at that season of your life and go, these are the greatest days we've ever had. And Eugene and I can look at one another. It hasn't been because it hasn't been hard. It hasn't been because we haven't worked. It hasn't been because we've been perfect because we haven't. But we've been very, very intentional about our, what our latter days are going to look like. And we can honestly stand before you and one another and go, these are the greatest days that we've ever had in our marriage. Because we were really intentional and purposeful along the way. So we want to encourage you. Leave today. Have a conversation. And begin to talk about the future with your spouse. Amen. We're going to close really, really quickly. But I just want to say this last thing. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Probably the flagship chapter on marriage. Apostle Paul giving you two things, just two, not even ten, two. Love and respect. That's it. And then he gets down to the end of it. He goes, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the mystery of the relationship between Jesus and his bride. 
what what's he saying to us? This relationship will be the loudest sermon you ever preach. And if the world needs to see something now, when you're walking through Super One, is a husband looking, cherishing, and honoring his wife, you'll stick out like a sore thumb in a culture that is dishonorable. You'll stick out. People will ask you, what is the secret? And what a door, an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus. I want to pray for you, Heidi and I do, just for your relationships. And and we're just going to pray over your marriage, and then I'll close. Father, we just pray over every relationship here, every husband and wife. I pray that this would just be a reset. That's what COVID has been for the church. And so it's COVID has been for our world. And Father, may it now be the reset for our relationship and our marriage. Maybe today, just a conversation going, honey, we need to talk about number six. Honey, we need to talk about number four. And just a reset. Father, thank you for grace that will cover the mistakes of our past. And Father, that we can look forward to the future, that our latter days would be greater than our former. For our singles, we pray over them. Lord, that you're getting them ready. We're just giving them the answers to the test before they have to take the exam. That, Father, they'll receive this and feel like they're even getting their own hearts prepared so that when you do bring their mate, they'll be ready. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the beauty that you created and a man and a woman joined together to become one, to be a representation to the world of the relationship between Jesus and his church. May we let that light shine in our community through our marriage, we pray. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you came in today and you're far from God. I just wanted to tell you, he's not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you. In fact, maybe today, even the song we sang, you feel like you're the one sheep that's been way far away, and he's here today to capture your heart and to bring you home. Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom or enter this kingdom until you've been born again. That's just you surrendering your life to this loving Savior who died for you and for me. You go, Pastor Eugene, how do I do it? How do I surrender to God? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. Just admit it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's that asking for forgiveness, and he'll forgive you instantly. B, believe. Believe that Jesus came, and he died on a cross to pay for your sin, our guilt, and our shame. And C, just confess him as Lord. Just surrender to him. And if that's you today, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up? Christians pray. No one else looking. Just say, Pastor, I'm ready to be born again today. Would you slip your hand up across the room and say, that's me today. I'm here today. I'm ready. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Congregation, let's add our voice to theirs. Would you say this with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. So today, Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Let's declare this. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God all the praise?